we're going to be doing a sort of a mini series. I'll be preaching tonight and then next Wednesday, and we want to talk about eternal grace. We're going to be talking about eternal grace. We're going to be talking about some cool stuff. I mean, next week we're going to be talking about, it's like I just want to go from where we are right now and go into heaven next week and discuss what is awaiting for us. What is, what, what is the crowns about? What is our motives about? What is our attitude? What exactly are we going to be standing before Christ on that day? And what are we going to be discussing? You, you, you might want to kind of get, get here for that. Because as, you know, I always, go back in my own life and I always evaluate myself. I always look and say, okay, what am I doing? What can I be doing better? What am I doing wrong? What's my motive here? What's my attitude here? All of these things come into play. So I just want to encourage you. But tonight we will be talking about saving grace. When we talk about saving grace, it's, I want to look at the fairness and the generosity of God. You know, how could someone who lived a vile life of debauchery, of, of the worst of the worst sins, habitual, just over and over, all of a sudden on their deathbed, come to Christ and go to the same heaven that someone who's been serving God for 50 years on the mission field? How is that possible? That is what we're going to be discussing tonight. I've heard it said, Billy Sunday who's a kind of older guy, he said, a deathbed conversion is burning a candle in the service of the devil and smoke, blowing smoke in God's eyes. Means it's that close. So if you think about it, a deathbed conversion, is that real? Because people say, well, they, you know, they, they didn't have a chance to do anything for the Lord. They, they, you know, they didn't, they, they, they just gave their life to the Lord, but we don't know what kind of life they would live. I'm glad that God knows exactly what kind of life that person would live. So speaking of that, I want to look at a very famous deathbed conversion. If you look in Matthew 27, verses 38 through 39, it says, At the time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads. I wanted to read that to you. That's in Matthew 27. I want you to follow along because you'll see some stuff in here. Okay? Matthew 27, 44. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. So there were two, two robbers on, 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 on side of, of each. And scholars say that it should have been Barabbas in the middle, which means that these two were probably his cohorts. Okay, so you have two robbers, one on each side. Everybody looks at the thief on the cross, and they say, well, one of the thieves got saved. But it says, and the robbers, plural, who had been crucified with him, were casting the same insults at him. Look at it in Mark 15, 32. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were casting the same insults. So that means the thief on the cross, both of them were casting insults at Jesus. Look in Luke 23, 39 and 43. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him saying, Don't you, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we are, we, we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. What happened? What changed his mind? Could it be when Jesus was on the cross, breathing his last breath, when he looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could it have pierced a barely beating heart of a thief? And in that moment, he completely changes his view and sees Christ as the Messiah. That's the amazing grace of God. That's the saving grace of God. Even in the midst of insulting, conviction comes forth, no works, no nothing. A man is transformed, changed by the power and presence of God. And he was hand in hand with Jesus, the first person to enter into glory. Before Noah, before all of these other men, this wretched deathbed sinner. That's amazing. That's the grace of God. All right, let me, <laughs> let's look in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me ask you a question. Like we talked about earlier, when you look to Christ and someone does something wrong, but you don't know what they did to me, I understand that. Can you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, when there's Christians fighting each other or Christians fighting someone who is lost, it's our responsibility to make it right. Who else? You know, you get into a, a discussion or whatever with someone who's lost that all they know is to draw from a sin nature and we're like, they need to apologize. How foolish is that? All they're doing is coming out of who they are, but yet we are, we're Christ-like and all that wants to come out of us is, get them, God. R get ra Pour wrath on them. Revenge on them. And that's not how Jesus is. But when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, just like Peter walked on the water, we begin to walk on the water of our circumstances. We begin to see things as Jesus sees things. Listen, when you look at grace, you know, a lot of people... Okay, this, this may be meddling. A lot of people, it's like they get mad when someone gives their life to the Lord when they've been doing all kind of bad stuff. It's like the older brother. The older brother's like, he spent all his money on prostitutes. Now, there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram, no Periscope, nothing of that sort. How did he, knew what he know what he was doing off in the far country? You know why? That older brother knows if he had his money, that's what he would have done. He would have went do all that. But it's like they get so angry when they see, man, I can't believe this guy was selling drugs yesterday. Here he's, he's at the altar crying, and, and now God's calling him into the ministry. And I've been serving God, bless God, for 30 years. So if you think about it, it's the grace of God, the grace of God, but the grace of God has a purpose and a plan for your life. The problem is we as Christians don't stay in our lane. We want what they got. We want to do what they're doing, and we're not doing what God has called us to do. 
Listen, when you look at grace, it's unfathomable. Pastor Todd's series so provoked me and poked and prodded me. It, it was like a fresh revelation of grace. Grace is ne never gets old. It's constantly being poured out. The more you hear about grace, the more you talk about grace, it empowers you to want to live right. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The first miracle by Moses, who was under law, he took his staff, put it in the, uh, he took his staff, put it in the water, and it turned to blood, and it resulted in death. But under grace, the first miracle that was done was Jesus turned water into wine, and it resulted in a celebration. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the new covenant. So when you look at saving grace, it's the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ. You know, I was talking to someone at the altar Sunday, and it's, it broke my heart because he, was, he said, man, I've been coming to church. I'm trying to serve God, but it just breaks my heart. I keep falling in these areas. I don't feel like I do enough. I don't feel like I'm saved. Can you relate to that? Have you been there? Or maybe you are there right now. You know, it's so interesting when you look at grace, when you look at, at the power of God able to transform a human being, to, to take everything that they know and, and deposit the Christ-likeness, the divine nature on the inside of them that now can fuel them to live right. You know, when we were lost, we were, we wasn't living for God at all. We, we, there's nothing that, that, you know, occasionally we would do some good things to, you know, mask our own guilt. So if we were unrighteous, sinners, lost, and we did a good thing, did that make us righteous? Have, did we, did we, were we righteous before God? Okay. Now that we're saved, under the blood of Jesus. Why is it one thing that we do wrong makes us unrighteous with God? Is the power of sin and death more powerful than the grace of God? Then why can we lose it so quickly? I mean, if you ever, if you ever stop to think about, it's not the things that we do it's not the things that we do that make us right or unrighteous. It's what we believe in, who's, the faith that we have in the one who is righteous. See, under the law, you are qualified if you keep 100% of the law 100% of the time. That's how you were, that's how you walked around in some type of righteousness. You still had the sin nature that was fueling your inability to keep it, to keep the law. But under grace, if we believe correctly, if we believe that Jesus is Lord and that he took the penalty upon himself, God declares us righteous. You may not feel like it, but you're justified just as if you never sinned. So you see, as Christians, we don't know how saved we are. And when people are lost, they don't know how lost they are. But it's the power of God that is able to change. But here, under grace, it doesn't give you the license to sin. It empowers you to walk away from sin. That's the difference. 
I, you know, people think, well, if you're under grace and I could do whatever I want, that's not a salvation mentality, and as sure is not the mind of Christ. So number one, salvation is the gift of grace. Romans 5, 18 through 19. This is one of the most important scriptures you will ever hear in all of your life. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification for life, of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, the issue is not that you're a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because you inherited a fallen nature which allows you and helps you and pushes you to sin. So in other words, our righteous acts and deeds, I mean, our unrighteous acts and deeds is what's fueling everything that we do. But when we come to Christ and he kept the law, he faithfully obeyed it. He, he, he gave us our righteousness. Now he empowers us. And the fruit of that is that we live for God. We walk in Christ. That's one of the most amazing things. But the problem is Christians struggle with that because we, we're so, we're so works related. You know, we, we, especially in the South, we see, you know, we may not go kiss a statue or, or, you know, do all these other things that other denominations do, but we do have our Protestant works. I come to church, I do this, I do this, I do that. That's still our own works that we're putting our faith in. And listen, those good things are good to do, but they don't make you right with God. That's not what makes you right with God. There's nothing you can do to make you right with God. It's your belief in the one who pleased God 100% of the time. And out of that, I don't know about you, it makes me want to stay away from sin because I am so grateful. I'm so appreciative. The Bible calls it our reasonable service. So let's bring it to nowadays. You know, you have, you, you have, you ever owed somebody money? Look, everybody, no, not me. Okay, if you know somebody who's ever owed somebody some money, when you owe them money and that person walks in, what you do? You don't have the money on you. You're like, I think I'm going to go see what he's doing. I'm going to come over here. <laughs> you avoid that person because of the debt. But if we as Christians knew that our debt is fully paid, See, the very one that we should not be walking away from is the very one we do. We need to go to God and say, hey, God, I love you, praise you. There's no shame involved because the debt has been paid. Christ has paid the debt. Now, when somebody, you, when you're friends with someone and you don't owe them money, you'll walk up to them, hey, man, you've been all right. How's it going? Man, go Tigers. Go Cajuns. All right, here we go. Let me take it a little further here. Look at Adam. What, what, what did Satan tell Adam and Eve? God don't want you to eat of that tree because he knows in the day that you eat of that tree, you will be like God. But the problem was they were already like God. They were made in his image. So what they did was he twisted it, made them believe something wrong, and they put their identity in the action 
of going eat off the tree instead of the belief in what God told them. That's what we do today. We put our faith in our action instead of when we come to Christ, just believing that Christ has made me righteous before God. So we go add a fig leaf, and God's like, why are you putting this fig leaf on? I already have the answer for you. Yeah, because I feel like I have to do this and do that. Do your kids have to clean their room for you to love them? Are you better than God? You know, when you, I love taking it into the parental mindset. You would do anything for your children. They don't have to do anything. I mean, there's some people that their kids are so bad, you're like, oh, that'd be kind of rough to love them. But to them, that's my baby. That's my baby. Yeah, yeah he, he, you know, he's he been to jail about 10 times, but, you know. Bless God, the judge just keeps getting him off, and he's learning. He's walking in, his, in that grace, and that is absolutely true. But when you look at it from the outside, you know, I'm about to dig deep. Like, okay, babysitting kids. You'll love babysitting your own kids. But you bring somebody else's kids, you may not be so happy if they ride on your wall. But your kids, oh, that's nothing, man. A little Windex will take that off or Clorox. <laughs> okay, we're going south. <laughs> but when you look at sin, does God pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future sins? You know, when I was thinking about it, it's like, at that time, all of our sins were in the future. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, you were dead because of your sin and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to his cross. Remember what we said earlier in Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? When you really understand grace, when you really understand the power that, because listen, God didn't have to do this for us. If God said, I'm not sacrificing my son, I'm not doing that. I'm going to just wipe everybody out. He would be no less God. He would be justified in doing so. But instead, he chose to sacrifice his only begotten son for you and I. You and I, so we could be right before him. See, grace is the empowerment. When you really understand that, you don't want to do the things that you were doing when you were in the world. And if that's not how you're thinking, I'd question if you're saved. I'd question if you've had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Because now you don't want to do the things that you used to drink down like water. Now when you put something on, you're like, whoa, that grieves. That makes me feel... You know, like some spikes want to come out of you. Maybe that's just me. Okay, sometimes when, <laughs> sometime when I get hot and cold, I feel like some spikes are coming out of my, my skin. Okay. You, you, okay, good. I was about to go on WebMD. <laughs> but, uh, but just to say, I'm using that as an illustration. You just don't feel right in the presence of some, of some things you used to love being in front of. So let's get to the message. Okay. With all that being understood, let's look at one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told. 
Leading up to it, there was a grape harvest that would, would end in September, and then they, it would give them about two weeks, and then Israel would have a very rough, rainy season. So they would have about two weeks to gather their harvest, so owners would need as much help as possible in order to do that. So let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 20, 1 through 15. That whole, almost the whole chapter. <laughs> for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to those he said, you two go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you two go into the vineyard. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. And they also received each one a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, This last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish of what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Or some translations say, or is your eye evil because I am generous? Have you ever read that story before? Okay. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 2, let's kind of break it down. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, when you look at this, Jesus is not teaching about labor laws. <laughs> He's not talking to a union. <laughs> He's talking to his disciples. Now, the story introduces the landowner who is God. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus' audience would have known exactly what all that entailed of this vineyard. See, during the harvest time, they would have people that would stand in the marketplace, and they were, they were considered day laborers. You remember in the story of the prodigal son, he said, even my father has laborers who he is more generous to. I will go and hire myself out as a day laborer. A day laborer was a guy who just sat in, in, in a marketplace. He did not have any type of trade, no type of experience. He was lower than a slave. I mean, you came by and said, hey, I need you to do this, and they jumped on it. They didn't have a trade. I mean, they, they were the lowest of the low. You could take advantage of them, and they would be perfectly happy with that because if they didn't get work, they did not eat. A denarius was the price, a very good price. It was almost like what a Roman soldier made. So, so you have to understand, a denarius for a day laborer is highly generous. You following me? Okay. 
Now, it says that the landowner went out at 6 a.m. Okay, so say if they worked a 12-hour day. In the story, they work a 12-hour day. So the landowner goes out at 6. He says, I'm going to pay you one denarius for a 12-hour day. In their mind, they'd have been like, oh, that's huge. Absolutely. And so they went. And then Matthew 20, verse 3. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So after he puts one crew to work, he goes back at 9 a.m. He would see these men being idle in the marketplace, not because they were not wanting to work, because it, it, it says it, that no one hired them later on, you'll see. So they would sit there and continually wait for somebody to come through. See, that mindset is not like it is today. <laughs> number three, point number three, we should serve in faith. Matthew 20, verse 4, he said, you two go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. So he didn't tell him, I'm going to pay you a denarius. He just says, I'm going to do whatever I think. You want to work, go. See, this is the key here. We should serve God not out of, if you do this, I'll do that. I'll tithe if you give me a promotion. I'll do this if you do that. If God, if you only do this for me, I'll never do this again. Listen, we can never, ever, ever get God indebted to us. Never. There is no, there's no bargaining with God. God is just generous because he's generous. And that should free us tonight. To know that God is going to do what he wants to do because he, he is who he is. So there's no reason why we should not expect him to be gracious to us, regardless of, of, of what we find ourselves in. Now, how many times, let me ask you this, how many times has God blessed you when you didn't keep your end of the bargain up? Let me see your hand. But, you know, we want a bargain and God's like, you didn't keep your end of the bargain. I'm going to bless you. So it's not about bargaining. See, he never mentions a price. There's no negotiation whatsoever. So that tells you the landowner must have had a generous reputation. Now, this is three hours later from six to nine. Imagine these guys jumped on that. Now, think about it. If just to say, if they heard a denarius for a day's wage, they're probably thinking like, man, we need to get, get in the mix because no telling. He's probably going to shave that down. And I want to get the most that I possibly can. Now, Matthew 20, verse 5 through 8. And again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. Remember what we talked about earlier. And he said to them, you two go in the vineyard. So he goes back at 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. They get off at 6. They knock off at 6. So the landowner goes back three different times, and catch this in verse 6. He hired them with one hour left. Now, you may be here, and you may be thinking, that ain't right. Oh, look at all these holy people. I see your halos. Some of them are crooked, but just fix them a little better. No, but really, when you read the story, you're like, well, that don't seem fair. But if you don't know the context... It seems like it's not fair. And the landowner would come to those. They are, they're not self-sufficient. They're not sitting against the wall saying, I'll help you out. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. No, these guys, if they didn't get work, they did not eat. What's the mentality today? 
well, man, I've been out here three hours. That's their fault. They didn't hire me. What you want me to do? But these guys stayed all the way out till 5 o'clock. Now, when you look at this story, as we're going to keep going in point number four, God keeps his promises. Listen to what it says, Matthew 20, verses 8 and 9. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group first. And when those that were hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. <laughs> Y'all got a problem with that? And they came, like, they, they, the guys were sweating, like, just doing all this work, you know, full of grape juice or whatever they were full of. And these guys come in, it's like, hey, guys, how y'all doing, man? It's, y'all, y'all doing a good job. And then those guys got paid first? Could you imagine if that had made it to CNN? Could you, I mean, could you imagine the, the controversy that would have been there? The landowner says, pay them in reverse. <laughs> could you imagine how them six o'clock dudes felt? Okay. Now, think of this. Imagine the calculation going on when the guys are there at six o'clock. A denarius for a day. Hmm. If those guys begin to get more, you know, if they get a denarius for an hour, just think what we're going to get. Imagine that the group, they're like, man, Texas Day Brazil. I could get an iWatch, an iMac. I could take the wife out. You know, just going in their mind, just thinking, there's no way. This guy is so generous to give them a denarius. Because believe me, people see stuff. You know, look, look at work. You're not supposed to know what your coworker makes, but many of you know. How that got out. <laughs> Man, he, he'd been here. X, let, me, let, me, let me move on. <laughs> he'd been here X, X amount of time. I've been here. They hired him at this, you know, all that stuff. Because you constantly see that in the workforce. All right. Point number five. <laughs> we should be grateful and not compare. Matthew 20, verses 10 through 12. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. And they also received each one denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. Now, they were grumbling against the generous landowner, and they accused him of being unfair. But he was more than generous with the denarius for the day anyway. So, let me ask you a question. Is that, be honest with me, do you think that's fair to get paid for an hour or the same as somebody who works all day? Let me see, let me, let me see hands if you don't think that's fair. If you don't think that's fair. Okay, all right. Okay. Good, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I'm not the only one. But that's why I want to tell you, you got to look at context. There's a tremendous reason why Jesus taught this. I can't wait to get to that part, so let's keep going. Point number six, God always gives more than we deserve because he is generous. Always. Okay, Matthew 20, 13 through 15. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? Now listen, 
The landowner did not do anything wrong. He gave them what he said he would give them. So they took issue. That's why he says, is your eye envious? Because I'm generous. Meaning, did I do something wrong? Did you not agree to what I gave you? But the first hires never saw the later guys get paid first. So once again, how do they know? Because grumbling probably happened. Do we do that as Christians? Oh, can you believe that so-and-so got blessed with this? I know that they did this, and God still blessed them. Oh, then it becomes like a works deal. Can you believe they only been serving God, and God done answered every prayer, and I've been praying about this for so long, and God has not come through for me? You see, what happened is they instantly felt mistreated. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel mistreated? That's something that we really got to deal with in our own lives. You know, when you first get saved, God does seem like he answers every prayer. Right? I mean, you're like, man, this is amazing. You, you know, it's like you just, you, you walk in the presence of God. You, you, you know, you pray a prayer and it's like right there when you open your door. It's like, oh, man, God is so good. But what happens is as you begin to grow, God begins to back away like a kid, like we've talked about before, and begins to walk you like this, to where you can start walking on your own, and God may not answer every prayer, because now God's saying, I need to conform you to the image of Christ, so you will be of good service in the kingdom. I will still bless you because of your faith, but I'm transitioning you into a mighty man or woman of God. That's what's happening in your life. So if you get mad at the people that just get saved and it's like, man, they got a promotion and they did this and that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy for them. You know what that's showing? God's growing you up into a mighty man or woman of God. And that means we're one day going to link arms and take on this kingdom of darkness because we need some help. So if it's how you view it, but if you feel mistreated, you're, 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 you're taking what God has already said he'd give you, which is eternal life, and now you begin to stack it up next to someone else, and then you start to feel mistreated. Because that's the context of this, eternal life. I read a particular story about a man that was on an American Airlines flight, and he was sitting in coach, and first class was empty. So American Airlines came to the back and started saying, you, 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 I want y'all to come to the first class. So they got up and they were like, oh, we're going to first class with them big chairs. And, and so they sat there and this guy just began to grumble to God. He was saying, well, God, that's not fair. Why, why, why is this happening? Why, why are they allowing, why are they being moved to the front? And God spoke to him and said, didn't you agree to pay coach? Is American Airlines evil because, or are, are you looking at them as evil because they're generous? Do we do that? <laughs> Can we just be grateful for being in the vineyard? For being in Christ? Listen, I don't know if you ever think about eternal damnation. Apart from Christ. That would hurt for eternity, all of eternity. If God never answers another 
prayer. God has been more than fair, more than generous. When you look at the Old Testament and you see that they had to cut this and eat this and sprinkle this, man, many of us, would, you know, would not want to be around that. <laughs> but God made it so simple. Listen, we go to Christ. He pays the penalty, but that, that could be enough. But he, the Holy Spirit then comes to live on the inside of us. We begin to learn the mysteries of God. We begin to experience the power of God. We begin to worship God. We begin to get lifted out of our circumstances. We walk with fire on the inside of us. We walk with a backbone of steel. When evil comes our way, we're able to walk right through it because Jesus Christ is with us. All of those things are benefits that we don't deserve. See, the problem is when you start looking at this one and that one, you take grace and you start to make it a work. You forget what you were saved from. So when you inner reflect in your own life of what Christ has already done for you, you keep your eyes focused on what God wants you to do on your lane and not look to the left or the right because you don't know where all these lanes are going on this earth. There's positions happening. There's promotions happening. There's there's raises happening. There's all these different things. But when we're looking to the right or the left, we're putting roadblocks in front of us. And we're not going on our path because we're too busy looking to the right or the left. Now, the context is very clear because in the beginning, before you get to this story and at the end, Jesus says the same thing. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he finishes the story in Matthew 20, verse 16. Thus the last shall be first and the first last. See, God was, Jesus was showing them that it's not about prominence or power. It's about the generosity and the grace of God. So what is the lesson? All of us were unworthy. There were no levels of worthiness. You know, it's like an old song that I like. I'm not going to sing it. But it talks about, you know, this guy's playing his guitar and he sings this powerful verse. And he talks about we're all like we're standing on the Statue of Liberty. And you may jump farther than some, but in the end, we'd all end up drowning. Meaning like you may, you may be dealing with this, you may be dealing with that, but no one deserves the grace of God. It's God's unmerited favor, which means God looked down at you and said, I'm going to give you all that I have to give, and his name is Jesus. And he looked at you and said, I'm going to give all I have to give, and his name is Jesus. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You see, that's the thing. When we start looking to the left or the right, we start to get an entitlement mentality as if, well, I deserve this because I've been doing this however long, which brings us to the next point. Now, remember in Luke 12, 32, it says, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Do you know that this verse is talking about you? God is gladly giving you the kingdom. Some people think that God just got this lightning bolt. And when you mess up, it's like God's like, oh, I've been waiting to use this thing. And he just does. That's not God. Because that lightning bolt was absorbed on Calvary. The, all the judgment, all the wrath was poured out on Jesus. 
Now, the thief in his dying moment showed up at 5 o'clock. If you think about it, showed up at 5 o'clock, and once again, hand in hand, he went with the master. Look at Judas. He served three years, heart never in to the gospel, serving three years, and is in the flames of hell today. So do you see that it's not about what you do? It's about what you believe. It's about who Christ is in you. It's about what he done. He paid the penalty. And out of that produces a life of obedience, a life of wanting to follow God. I, you know, so many times you, you, you ask people, you know, where are you at with the Lord? Well, I, I walked the altar and I got saved. Or tell me about your relationship and, and with Jesus. And they tell you, well, I go to this church. You know what I mean? It's, it's that whole deal. Listen, when you come to Christ, Christ changes you. The evidence that what you prayed is real is that you live it. Your life changes. Your desires, your wants change. You are being regenerated. If that is happening in your life, rest assured, you are saved. If that is not happening, you need to relook at what the experience you had with Jesus was about. Now, really quick, the meaning was the landowner is God, the vineyard is the kingdom of God, the laborers are believers, the day of work is their lifetime. It's the, it's the life that they live. The evening is eternity. The steward, remember he said, I called my steward to pay them. That's Jesus because everything has been given to Jesus. He is our judge and we will learn that next week. And the denarius is eternal life. It's more than enough. So when you see the parable in the context, let me ask you a question now. Is it fair? It's very fair. That's the beauty of the gospel. Read the Bible. Listen, <laughs> I can't tell you this book will change your life because of its author. When you read this word, God watches his word and he will bring that thing to pass. And what it does is it whets your appetite to get more and more into the gospel. That's how you begin to grow in the things of God. That's why the guy on his deathbed can call out to Christ to save him. And he goes to the same person who died in the Roman Colosseum as a martyr. Now, why did the Lord tell this story? It goes back to the rich young ruler. See, when you look at all this context, when you read it in context, it really makes you laugh. Because you see the disciples all in the mix of this, and some of them are asking the dumbest questions that we would ask. <laughs> Most lost people feel like the rich young ruler. Well, I don't do this. I gave up the club. Right? I stopped partying. You know, it's like, you know what I, I, I'll say? Okay, I gave up so much. I gave up hugging a toilet. Throwing my guts up. Yeah, I gave something up. That's nothing. Everything that you give up is nothing. Don't look at it that way. You gain everything when you give up. So because you gave up a drug, you gave up some type of music, you gave up things that you watch, you give up a lifestyle that you once lived, you didn't give up anything. 
You gained everything when you come to Christ. Now look at the rich young ruler. He says, I did this, I did this. And here's the disciples. <laughs> and they probably was like, Jesus, this, this dude said he kept all the law. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 19, 25, 26, we're going to use some modern translation. The disciples were astounded and it was like, who in the world can be saved? This dude got all the money. You know how many crusades he can pay for? You know, And he is righteous because he said he kept all the law. And then because in their mind they were like, man, if he don't, don't go to heaven, who can be saved? It says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So Jesus was getting them to examine themselves. And look at the next verse. <laughs> Peter, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Hashtag awkward. <laughs> Think about it, that awkward moment. Like You'd have been there, you'd have been like, dude, I was thinking that, but I wasn't about to ask him that. You know, so when you think about it, it's like, yeah, what, what exactly is that? Look what Peter is saying. Peter's speaking up. So you just saw the rich young ruler situation. Peter opens up his mouth, and then we have all of this conversation. So Jesus goes in and tells this amazing story. Now, <laughs> I don't want to make Peter look bad, but come on. We, we can all identify with some of them disciples, so hopefully not Judas, but... So notice Peter echoes the rich young ruler. Lord, we did this. We gave up this. We did this. And he still didn't get it. Jesus knew their ongoing struggle of, of what's in it for me, which breeds competition and which brings disunity. Disunity. So this is what actually catapulted the story. Matthew 19, 28 and 30. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, they will, you who have been my followers will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. Now I could imagine Peter and them was like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and everyone who gives up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, we'll return, we'll receive a hundred times as much in return and we'll inherit eternal life. See, that's where he was going with this. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. See, the saddest part of this entire story or reason this story came about is these dudes still didn't get it. They're sitting at the Last Supper. They, I mean, they didn't experience three years with Jesus. These were the 6 a.m. guys. That's really what they were. They had been with him all this time. Before that, the mom of two of them, James and John, they go in and she's like, they probably put her up to it like, Mom, you, you ask him. You go ask him. And so they go up to Jesus and she goes up to Jesus and she's like, hey, can one of my kids sit on the right and the left? Then fast forward. Luke 22, 24, and 25, they begin to argue amongst themselves and who would be the greatest among them. So they didn't get the story. Or unless they got it and they just was like, well, maybe that don't apply to me. Or maybe, you know, he's talking about them other people, not us, us 12. 
But that's who Jesus was talking to. So going back, the truth to remember. Salvation is a gift of grace to all who will receive at any stage of life. None deserve it. If we see that it is God who initiates salvation, we see that we should serve in faith, believing that God will do what he wants to do in our lives. The landowner went out to get laborers, so he came and got us. God keeps his promises. These are all nuggets in truth that you can apply to your life. What God has done does not compare to anything that we, we have presently. And he does more than enough in our own lives if he just stopped at salvation. Now, can we stand? I want to finish off with a story. And in this story, it was, it was, it was very powerful. There was a, a group of uh, two missionaries, a husband and wife, that served in Africa for 40 years. And they were on a boat coming back to New York. And President Roosevelt was on the boat. And whenever they pulled into the dock, the, the, the husband and wife had their bags. And President Roosevelt walked out in front of them. And he was greeted with dignitaries and all these people. And as they were walking out, it's like literally they moved him off to the side to make way for the president. And the, it broke the husband's heart. They felt sorrow and they felt unappreciated. Unappreciated. <laughs> unappreciated. And then he had some indignation towards God. He said, God, I've been on the mission field for 40 years and there was nobody waiting for me when I got off the, the boat. Not even a pat on the back. He said, and God spoke to him and said, because you're not home yet. Come on, church. We not home yet. Don't look for pats on the back. Don't compare. You are running your race. God has graced you. He has empowered you to stay in your lane. You may not see it, many of the blessings here, but I promise you, there are angels in heaven that's like gall. Look what he did here. Look what he did here. And you don't know how many pages and pages are in that book that is under your name of all the good deeds that you did. And one day when you walk through those gates... Because remember, tonight is about eternal salvation. Next week will be about the crowns. It'll be about what we, what's the discussion going to be like in heaven. Now, I don't know where you're at and what you're dealing with, but you know and God knows. And you may be going through hell on earth right now. I want to say that it's momentary and it's light in comparison to the glory of God. The biggest thing that is, that is pounding you day after day after day is momentary and it's light. It will pale in comparison to the glory of Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're frustrated looking at what you don't have. Maybe you're looking too much at the unanswered prayer or the not answered prayer like you wanted and you're not even seeing the good. You know what's one thing I noticed about ministry? You get the bad, like, hey, can you pray for me? This is happening. But you don't get the good report. You don't get many of the good reports. So that tells me that when the good report comes, it's like, oh, that's God's grace. Praise God. But 
It's like we mourn harder than we rejoice. We need to rejoice harder than what we mourn because in that it will produce a pattern of being grateful every time something good comes our way. Because what's happening, I'm telling you what's happening. We're thinking more negative stuff is happening, but really the positive. You didn't get killed on the way to work. I mean, there's so many good things. Count your many, that was, I'm almost saying, but I'm not. <laughs> Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Boy, I'm so embarrassed. Them spikes are coming out of me right now. But count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. (laughs) South. I can't sing a lick. Okay, so and also if you're comparing yourselves to each other, can I encourage you? Raise your expectation level in your lane. Don't look here or there. Don't. I mean, you might, you might supersede the people on the side of you. Keep your eyes focused on what God wants you to do, and you watch God raise you up from where you're at. And I want to say that it's 5 o'clock. God is still calling people, and he's calling you if you do not know Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you could say, I am not saved. I, I do not know the Lord and the way that you were talking. Let me see your hand. I want We want to end this tonight. Today is the day that you can walk out of here with your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Come on, if there's anybody here that does not know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity. I won't belabor the point. Thank you, God. Well, good. Everyone in here knows the Lord Jesus. The second point, if you are saved, are you co-laboring with the Lord. That's where we need to get to. All of these things that we're doing is building momentum to be a soldier in the kingdom of God. And let me ask you one more question. Are you on the sideline because you're discouraged? And and you're not even in the lane, you're on the sidewalk. You done pulled over and you're mad at God. I know what that's like. Can I encourage you to lay that ultimatum down And simply trust God, because the Bible says, Will not the Lord of all the earth do what is right? Can you lay that ultimatum down and say, God, I'm tired of saying, if you do this, I'll do this. Lay that down and say, God, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, no matter what gets answered, what don't get answered, I'm all in. Let me see your hand if you believe that, if you're walking in that right now. Father, I thank you right now. Right now, there's some hands that are not up. But Father, I know that you see their situation, God. Father, I know that you can bring them out of the most fearful disappointments. I myself have faced crippling disappointments. But I'm here to tell you, God can raise you up out of that thing. And when you think about that memory, joy will come to your mind. Because this is not the end. This is not the end. We still have the denarius, eternal life. So, Father, we just thank you right now. God, I ask that each person with their hand up, you would continue to empower them to keep going, that you would do great and mighty things in their midst. God, those that are dealing with, with depression, God, those that are on the sideline, God, I ask that you would just birth in their heart, God, 
a rejuvenation, a refreshing that only you could bring. God, the same refreshing that you brought to me. God, I ask that you would give that to them. And Father, they, they would rise up in, the, in these last days, at, in this five o'clock hour. And then they would move forward in the glory and the grace and the power that you have for them. God, encourage them tonight. And Father, we just thank you for your presence in this service. We honor you. We glorify you. And God, we thank you for being just the wonderful king that you are. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. God bless you.